exposing their passwords uh, everywhere globally. So it's a global phenomenon. Uh, it just look at uh, crypto wallet hack these days. I think like, well, I forgot the number, like maybe $80 billion were stolen because a lot of people uh, uh, exposed their passwords uh, by mistake uh, uh, the, you know, uh, through uh, phishing attacks. So I think uh, raising awareness of uh, these bad actors um, and what to be aware of is something that we need to do globally and maybe more so in Hong Kong because uh, uh, citizens are less exposed to AI uh, than maybe other countries where AI development has maybe a earlier start. Now, we spent most of this program talking about the uh, dangers or the mis potential misuse of AI. Um, maybe we want to turn it around. And, uh, you, 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 can you say something about the potentially uh, positive uh, effects? And I'm not just talking about in terms of finding lower prices and so on, but I, I think you, earlier on you referred to how AI can save lives in some cases. Yes. I mean, the medical profession is, uh, is, is a great use of, uh, use of, of AI. Uh, in the past, through the development of deep learning uh, and image recognition, uh, AI has been used uh, extensively uh, to to review and uh, basically filter maybe X-ray scans and MRI scans to identify those uh, patients that potentially have problems, and so that you know, relieve uh, humans from looking at you know thousands of scans and. And only you know where only maybe ten percent have things that they need to look into. So, uh, so reducing the workload for humans so that humans could focus on things that is, is difficult uh, is, is something that AI has been doing uh, um, in all industries, I believe. Really, that's a really an area, isn't it, where uh, privacy concerns really do clash with the potential benefits because there's nothing more private than our medical data. But at the same time, um, um, analyzing medical data from sort of large numbers of people, you, you can draw trends from that and you, you can actually come up with medical breakthroughs, can't you? Yes, it's a, it's a fight balance. And that's where some of these data uh, privacy regulations and maybe AI governance regulations can come into play so that organizations that has all these you know, very important and personal data, um, uh, make sure that they are safe and secure and have the, uh, have the appropriate measures in place to ensure that, uh, that they stay safe and secure and uh, you know, uh, respect uh, data privacy uh, and consumer rights. So uh, the, the regulation helps you know, raise awareness between, you know, among the, those providing the AI service that I, you know, I have to have these these things in place, make sure that data stays private, make sure that our computer system is safe from being hacked, uh, make sure that we have monitoring tools to make sure that you know it, it's secure, and so forth and so forth. So I, I think you know, in, in ways of uh, having more regulations, appropriate level regulations, can truly you know bring up that level of trust among consumers in using more, not just AI, but any emerging technologies, uh, you know, uh, besides AI, you know, we talk about AI today, but you know, the the, the metaverse uh, is also getting popular, and that is another uh, another realm where a lot of regulations need to come into play as well. And uh, we, we've talked about uh, how uh, we should do more to educate uh, the public, or we should uh, how we should uh, protect uh, consumers. Um, what's the view of uh, companies that uh, use AI technology? I mean, do they 
do they think they need to be more transparent when it comes to um, disclosing how they uh, use the information collected through this technology? I, I think it's good uh, for, for both sides, consumer and the company. Uh, uh, being, uh, being more transparent uh, kind of forces itself to, to really you know, do things properly. Uh, also, uh, if it doesn't follow, uh, if it doesn't have these set of guidelines it can follow, uh, it might potentially uh, do something uh, uh, something wrong, uh, mistakenly, and, and could impact, like saying AI could impact lives. So having a set of checklists or regulations kind of help the company say, oh, what do I need to do when I deploy AI? Oh, so these are the set of things that you need to do, the minimum set. So in a way, the regulations do help the company uh, as well to strengthen uh, the quality of the AI it provides. And, and looking forward to the future in 10, 20 years hence, or what, what is it? I mean, the, the technology is only going to um, improve, isn't it? And uh, the potential benefits and also the way that technology can probably be used to bypass um, any attempt to regulate it or at least uh, get, make it more difficult to regulate it. Is, is AI just something we're, we're, we're going to have to get used to, these greater intrusions sort of mainland-style surveillance? I think AI is definitely going to get smarter and smarter. Uh, but, 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 but like I said, you know, AI is becoming more integrated with traditional software. And what that means is that, I mean, any software, any piece of software people write or use today has to have some sort of AI. Otherwise, it's not going to be interesting. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be boring. Uh, it might be... Uh, you know, the, the only software, well, I guess I couldn't think of any software that have AI, even especially as AI. Uh, but yes, you know, uh, I think AI is going to be more uh, 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 prevalent uh, everywhere. And and in, in that sense, you know, uh, it's uh, it's kind of hard, harder, to, harder to identify, you know, this, this is a piece of software that needs to be regulated. Basically, uh, I think you know, uh, that, that scope of regulation is going to get wider. All right, so Professor Chen, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Andy Chen, the Vice President of the Hong Kong Computer Society and an adjunct professor at City University. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. It's now coming up to 17 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to turn to our second topic today, and that is about the high air pollution we've been seeing in Hong Kong recently. To tell us more about the situation, we have with us Kenneth Leung, the Assistant Director for Air Policy at the Environmental Protection Department. Good morning, Mr. Leung. Good morning, Janice. Thanks for joining us on the program. So why has air pollution been so bad over the past few days? Oh, the elevated pollution level is mainly caused by uh, a, a tropical cyclone uh, in the Pacific Ocean right now, which is approaching Taiwan. And uh, whenever we have this kind of uh, tropi- tropical cyclone uh, affecting Taiwan, the Hong Kong wind speed will be reduced. And because of the reduced dispersion characteristic, all the pollutions in the Greater Bay Area just being trapped in the region and could not be dispersed properly and moreover because of the good sunshine it caused photochemical effect that's why uh, we experienced very high ozone concentration in the past few days as well as uh, relatively high particular matter concentration as well so are you saying once the typhoon's gone things will improve yes absolutely right and- 
And in fact, if you compare uh, what happened, say, at the end of August, when we did not have many typhoons, uh, the, the sky is blue and clear, and the emission conditions are exactly the same right now. So uh, this kind of phenomenon we have known from, for quite a number of years. So whenever we have typhoon going past that kind of trajectory, Hong Kong will experience uh, a high pollution level. Right, I'm looking at the Air Quality Health Index website right now, and uh, most of the general stations are currently in the moderate health risk category. Um, but according to forecasts, it might reach the very high risk category this afternoon. Um, so, so, I mean, for a healthy person, is it safe to exercise outdoors? Uh, I would recommend not to do outdoor exercise uh, today as well as the next Tuesday because we expect this kind of uh, high, pol- high ozone level will continue until the weekend, until the typhoon or what we call the tropical cyclone pass ta- Taiwan and go to the northern part of the earth. Uh, so it will persist for a few more days. So I would advise uh, the public not to really do very uh, uh, active exercise outdoor because the high ozone level will trigger any uh, uh, respiratory uh, illness or other diseases. And you mentioned, I think, also that the unseasonably warm weather we're having, that it's always hotter than it normally is in September, that that's also contributing to it. Yes. Why is it hot? Because if you look at the, the wind conditions, um, Basically, uh, we are uh, affected by northerly dry wind because the, the cyclone actually is uh, turning anticlockwise. It's bring, bringing everything from the north down to the southern part of China. So at this point of time it, it, of the season, it tends to be dry and hot. Right. And, and earlier you said uh, it's, uh, you don't recommend people doing any exercise outdoors, uh, but I only found out about this after I looked at the, uh, the actual website on the Air Quality Health Index. Uh, but people um, have to go on this website to find out what the situation is like. I mean, do you think it'll be easier to have um, a different system, like a warning system, like Typhoon, so people can easily tell uh, what they should do or what they should not do? Actually, in our recommendations of our website, uh, we have been advising the public whenever the index goes about seven, uh, it is not advisable to, to really do uh, outdoor activity. And uh, uh, I think this is an education process. Uh, it is not like a typhoon uh, that may have well, required us to stop all activities in Hong Kong. And in fact, every day we produce our forecast through the, the TV broadcasters as well as the new broadcast from the, the, the radio channel. So uh, I think that is sufficient at this moment for advising the public about the air quality they're going to expect during the day. All right. And, and in general, um, air pollution um, globally improved significantly uh, in the first year of the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, would you say things have gone back to normal now? Well, uh, when you look at the, the source of pollution, where does it come from? It's mainly come from power plant, industrial activity, as well as motor vehicles. So when the, the, the worldwide activity actually resumed back to the normal, use a lot more power as well as traveling as usual, that means the emission conditions actually return back to the pandemic period. That's why uh, the pollution level 
bounce back to to the previous two uh, two years ago's level is 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 normal unless uh, we continue to reduce the amount of activity or change the fossil fuel combustion activity into uh, renewable energies. Of course, one big difference compared with the pre-pandemic periods is that absolutely everybody in Hong Kong is wearing face masks all the time. So presumably the um, health risks from uh, these high pollution levels um, are are actually less than they used to be in the past because all of us, they've been filtered through face masks. Uh, You may say so for the particular matter, but if it is something too tiny, like uh, we're talking about uh, PM 2.5, which is smaller than than 2.5 micron, and that that may go past the mask. And when I talk about ozone, which is actually a gas, it will definitely go past the mask. So when you walk on the street with a mask on, you are still affected by high ozone level today. Right, and uh, I'm looking at a previous uh, a previous um, report. It says uh, between uh, 2011 and 2021, key air pollutants here have reduced by 30 to 50 percent, and and that report is by a Clean Air Network. Um, however, it says that our roadside air pollution level still exceeds WHO's uh, um, standards. Um, so, so, uh, Mr. Leung, how I mean, how should Hong Kong deal with the uh, air pollution going forward? I mean, what else? Uh, what more can we do to to help? improve the situation? Uh, in Hong Kong, the major polluting sources are power plants, marine emissions, as well as road transport. And when you mentioned the exceedance of roadside air quality uh, in, in related to WHO value, the WHO value is 10 micrograms for NO2. Uh, virtually, it was tightened last year from 40 micrograms. In fact, no city, major city in the world could meet this criteria yet, unless we turn all the vehicles into zero emissions, new energy vehicles. And that is exactly what the government is doing right now. We're encouraging the transport sector to migrate their car or transform their car into zero emissions or change to new versions of vehicles. And also we are reducing our power plant uh, emissions gradually. That's why you see the improvement in the past few years. We will continue to do that in future. So in particular, in reference to our carbon neutrality plan, uh, we're going to phase out coal combustion together by 2035. So uh, with all these different efforts, we expected our uh, local air quality as well as the roadside air quality will be improved in in the next five to ten years. But I think unlike uh, many countries, we haven't set a deadline for switching entirely to electric vehicles, have we? I mean, do you look in uh, the... We already, set, we already set for the private car, the smaller vehicle, uh, in the plan. We mentioned that before 2035, uh, we will not register any more new combustion vehicles at all for the private vehicle. And also we promised uh, to update the EV roadmap uh, in 2025. And we will include the timeline for phasing out combustion vehicle for the uh, commercial type of vehicles as well. So uh, we will see uh, a more concrete plan in two to three years' time. Okay, so for, but for commercial vehicles, it's going to be a much more long. It's going to be a much longer process, right? And that will include buses and trucks and things like that, minibuses, things exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. Because the, the 
availability of uh, electric version or even other energy type uh, is limited at the moment, and also they are quite expensive as com- compared to the diesel version. So we need to take time to allow the trade to trans trans transform to the new energy version gradually. Because there's sometimes a perception we're falling behind the rest of the world and even behind the mainland in terms of the pace of our 